Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us in our series, Easter, The Jesus Way. Jesus is our ultimate example for how we should live our lives. In this series, we are looking at Jesus's ministry, from his calling to his victory over the grave. We are walking alongside his journey to the cross, to his death and burial, and then to his resurrection. Each week, we will be deep diving into chapters 15 through 21 of the Gospel of John, leading us all the way to celebrate Christ's victory over the grave on Easter Sunday. Now let's tune in. Good morning. My name is Chase, and I uh, am the family pastor here at Rolling Hills. And so um, I work with a team of people that works from preschoolers through high schoolers. They're really talented. They care about the next generation, and they care about equipping parents. So grateful to be here. Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, I celebrated my 12th anniversary here at Rolling Hills, 12 years uh, being on this journey and seeing God do amazing things in the past 12 years all over the world has been truly incredible. It's grateful to be in a in, at the Nashville campus. Um, you guys are home just as much as Nolensville, Columbia, or Franklin, or any of our other, Haywood Hills, any other, like, other campuses, you guys are home to me, and I'm grateful to be here. Now, there's a question I want to ask you before we even begin today, and that question is pretty simple. It's nothing super spiritual about it, uh, and I have to ask you this. How many in the room are directionally challenged? <laughs> Like, like you need a map to go everywhere. Um, or how many of the room are sitting next to somebody who's directionally challenged? They just didn't want to admit it, but you're like, yeah, no, anywhere we go, they get lost. Um, or you may be a person in the room that no matter if you're lost, let's say you're going somewhere and you're lost, you're the person who, who will not ask for directions. Nothing became truer than a few weeks ago whenever we did a thing. My family and I did a thing. And, and this is a thing apparently a lot of people do it, but I've never been to a Costco before. Like, have you? I've never been. And, and we were like, let's get a Costco membership, and that would be a great idea. So my first experience with Costco was my wife giving me a list of things to get with a two-year-old daughter. And so I went to Costco. I was pretty excited about it. I've never been. I've heard stories about it. But we pulled in the parking lot, and it took me 30 minutes to park at Costco. I was like, what is going on at Costco these days? Apparently, it's like that all the time. And so after 30 minutes, I'm coming into Costco, and I'm looking around. First of all, does anybody realize there's no directional signs in Costco? There's nothing telling you where the milk is. Okay? And so the first 15 minutes, I'm just like... I don't know where to go, and I've, I've got nothing in the cart. I don't know where things are, and you know what I found out? It's, I have a pride inside of me that says I can't ask for directions, 
especially the new guy in Costco, I'm not going to ask for directions. I'm the new guy. I'm going to figure this thing out. How hard could it be? I spent an hour in Costco. I left there with three items, a hot dog and a slice of pizza, and I've never been back since. Like, that's the last time I'm going back. In fact, my wife said yesterday, you want to go to Costco? I said, nah, no way. And so I look at that about my life, and I know that I'm not alone on this one. There's probably a lot of people in the room that, that are like this, and I was so frustrated that day because I didn't seek help. I didn't have a good game plan. I had to do things my own way. Guess what? This is true of our life as well. So many times we want to do things our own way. We tend to think that we know what's best for our lives, and so we live our lives our own way. We even have kind of misconceptions about how we live out the Christian life as well. And, and what, what we're going to do this series, what I believe is that um, we, we tend to do things our own way, the chase way, and what would it look like to do things the Jesus way? What would it look like to do things totally different and, and looking at the last, last moments of Jesus' life and his discourse with the disciples? What did he tell his disciples in John 15 and 16? We see this final discourse he had with his disciples in the upper room before he journeys to the cross. And he's really challenging them. He's saying it's important to stay connected to him, to live out their faith in a world who does not understand him but a world that desperately needs him. In previous chapters and verses, Jesus seems to present starkly different points of view. Last week we talked about Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Awesome. But then he says this. He said, in this world you're going to face trouble, hatred, and you're going to be tempted to fall away from me. The question is, how will the disciples continue to carry out the mission that God's called them to and not throw in the towel? And not say, this is, this is too hard. I can't do it, Jesus. And Jesus tells us how in the next chapter, in chapter 16. Before we get to there, let me just pray a blessing over the fact that we're going to be in the Word of God and we want the Word of God to change us from the inside out. Is that okay? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're grateful for it today, but God, most of all, in this moment, we pray that your words will change us from the inside out. Your words are living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So God, use it to change us. May we forever be changed by your words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you ready? John chapter 16, you can open your Bibles, they're going to be on the screen. We're gonna, it's a chapter, guys, it's a chapter. There's a lot to get through. Okay, so we're going to do our best. Here we go, John chapter 16. Jesus is encouraging his disciples at the very front to not fall away. It's likely um, people will not understand the message or the disciples won't understand the message and they're going to be persecuted. And get this, they're going to be thrown out of places. Previously, they were welcomed. So they would be welcomed into the, into the synagogues. But now, Jesus is saying, hey, you're probably not going to be welcome in the synagogues anymore because they're not going to understand you. They're not going to understand what you represent and the message that I'm giving. And this was a strong final words for his disciples. There will be moments of frustration, pressure, and they're, they're going to... Um, have these thoughts of abandoning their faith, but Jesus is saying, hang on, just hang on. 
I'm telling you, I've got something special for you. And this is where we get into the dark side of discipleship. Did you know that there's a dark side of discipleship? There's consequence to Christianity. And we never want, from any stage here at Rolling Hills, we never want to paint the picture that there won't be suffering in this life. But we do want to paint the picture that God's goodness and kindness will be present with us as we go through that suffering in this life. And the first thing he says in verse 5, read with me. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Time out. Having lived, studied under, been with, seen the example of, would you be easily convinced that it would be for your good that to leave the physical presence of Jesus after being with him for three years? Would it, would, what would your perspective be? It would be so hard for us to understand. But according to Jesus, it's, it's not for my good, it's for your good that I go away. It sounds like a breakup between a guy and a girl, and the girl is telling the guy, hey, it's going to be better for you that we break up, and the guy's doing what? What? Really? I'm not so sure he's believing it. And in this moment, I'm not so sure the disciples are really believing it's for their good that Jesus go away. And Jesus is trying to convince them. And get this, here's what I think is so significant about this verse. Is that Jesus knows what's going to happen next to him, yet he says it's for your good. Get this, it's for your good that I'm rested. It's for your good that I'm mocked. It's for your good that I will be beaten. It's for your good that I'll be sentenced to execution. It's for your good that I'll be nailed to the cross. It's for your good that I'm going to be nailed up to a cross between two notorious criminals. It's for your good that my cold body lay in a cold grave. It's for your good. Even though he knew all these things was going to happen to him, but he still said it's for your good. Why? Verse 7. Unless I go away, I love this, the advocate, the Holy Spirit would not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is what makes it for our good. It means this, it is for our good that he suffered. It's hard to get our head wrapped around. It's for our good that he suffered. Because he sent the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit in their midst would make them so effective it would be better that Jesus left. The same is true today. This is what the Holy Spirit does in John 14, verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who gives the fruits of the Spirit, by the way, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all those things who represent, that represent the fruit of the Spirit, The Holy Spirit gives those whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Here's what I love. This is foundational to our faith. In the Old Testament, we see that the presence of God was found in a place, in a temple. In fact, the Holy of Holies, 
was the presence. Only a few people were allowed to go in the Holy of Holies. Then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus says, I want to give you a new covenant. I've not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law, and now I am the presence of God. He's the physical presence of God on this earth. But Jesus said, wait, 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 I'm not done because it's not just about the physical presence of Jesus. He said, I'm going away so that, those, so that God will live in each and every one of my people. So this connection to God is not through a place, it's not through a person, but it's in each of us. That's how the Holy Spirit is working in each of us. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Here's the the point. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you to help you experience peace in the presence of God. So now here's the question. Is the presence and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life so real, so good, and so precious that you say it was worth it that Jesus left? If you're a follower of Christ, a disciple, you are born again, and you have the Holy Spirit. But the question is, how much, do you, uh, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Do you regularly, consciously allow him to fill your life, to work in you, to use you? How long has it been since you sat down with with God and says, I need you to fill your Holy Spirit with me fresh today. Fresh today. I think that should be on our to-do list every day. Fill me today. Allow me to sense your presence in a very real, practical way today. Then he continues about the Holy Spirit Because the interesting thing about the Holy Spirit that you may not know is the Holy Spirit not only speaks to the believer and and equips the believer, but also the Holy Spirit is speaking to non-believers. And this is what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will prove. That word prove means to convict. He will convict the world to be in a... Uh, to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in him, and about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. So get this. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The word convict is maybe a little broader, broader than you may think. We think about the word convict, and we think about a judge throwing down the gavel. In fact, we call those who are incarcerated, we, what do we call them? Convicts. Because they've been convicted of a crime. But I think it goes much deeper than that. As we look at the word, convict also means to expose, refute, or convince. The Holy Spirit convinces someone of their need for a Savior. For their need for Jesus. And get this, he uses us as instruments to share Jesus. But let me save you some some worry. Let me save you a burden because it's not us that does the work. It's the Holy Spirit that convinces somebody of their need for a Savior. Our job is simply to share Jesus with people. And some of you might have a real and exciting story about the day that that became real to you, that you finally understood your need for a Savior. And before that day, you might have, you might have thought of God, that there's somebody out there, that he may have been creator in your life, or, or he may have been the creator, and you, you, you should do good things because he's creator. And that may have been true for you, but there was a day when you instantly re- you realized of your desperate, desperate need for forgiveness through the work that he did on the cross. That's called substitutionary atonement. The work that Jesus did on the cross, he shed his blood for the penalty of sin. 
In other words, you move from this might be a good idea to I need his forgiveness. Right? That, that happened for several of you in the room. You finally realized, man, I, I'm in desperate need for a Savior. It's like this. When you're flying on the airplane, and uh, we did this a couple weeks ago. We flew in there. You know, remember it was w- real windy? And uh, I was in a plane whenever it was real windy. And in fact, it was like we left Orlando at 11.35. And we didn't land in Nashville till 7 p.m., that's how crazy it was. And so we went back to Birmingham, landed in Birmingham. People were throwing up all over the plane. It was awesome. Um, and so it's like this. You get on the flight, and you listen to the flight attendant, and they're trying to give safety measures and instruction. How many people are listening in that moment? Zero. You look around, and there's nobody. People have the headphones in. People are looking down, reading. Nobody's listening. But the moment there's turbulence, and the, the, the flight instructor comes on there and says, hey, safety measures again, guess what you're doing? You're listening. It's the same lecture, but you hear it differently. And I believe this is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. There's a, there's a time where the Holy Spirit alerts us to the dangers of the heart, telling people that they need Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's amazing. Guess what this only makes me want to do? Pray for those to, to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that should be a part of our story there. Then Jesus moves forward, and he, he says the Holy Spirit will guide you in all truth, expose darkness, lead you to live in truth. The Holy Spirit will be your God even when you don't know what's next. That's amazing. And then he turns back to his disciples, and I love this because they're still not understanding. They're still not getting it, as I would be, by the way. And, they, and then he says in verse 16, In a little while you will see me no more, then after a little while you will see me. What? Okay, let's clear it up. 17, at this some of the disciples said to one another, What does it mean? What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? Why? We don't understand what he is saying. Are you confused? I'm confusing reading it. I'm like, I get it. I get why the disciples are trying to figure this thing out. I mean, there's been with Jesus for three years, and he's saying he's going away, but then he's not going away. Then he's going to go away again. You're like, okay, clear it up for me. Verse 28. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Let me draw pictures for you, okay, guys? I came from God to the world. Now I'm coming from the world, and I'm going back to God. You get it? And then they said this. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Get this. I don't want us to miss this. I think this is so good. Now we can see and know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you any questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Two things happen here that I think are so significant. Two things happen to make it plain to the disciples. And two things happen in our life to make it plain for us to understand God. The first thing is this. They increased in their knowledge. Increase in knowledge. See that you know. They increased in the knowledge of the workings of God. We know that you know what you're talking about. And the second thing was this. 
increased their faith. They believed. There is a correlation between knowledge of God and growing in your faith. Times of growth in faith have always been intertwined with growing in our knowledge of God for the promises of God, for the the work of God, for his character. And when we grow in those things, what I notice about my life is I tend to grow in my faith. When I grow in the knowledge of God, and if you're saying in the room, I want to grow in my faith, well, I would say this, go deeper, study God's word, understand about his promises. You see, if you want to grow, there's a correlation, but don't be mistaken because this can happen. It's your next point. Knowledge without action is meaningless. Let's not forget that. As a church, let's not forget that. We don't want to be people who are puffed up with knowledge and become spiritual bobbleheads. Like you're walking around with little bodies with big old heads. Like it's, it's like you're, you're taking protein, right? And there's a reason why you take protein, to gain muscle. But what happens if you just take protein and you don't do the work that it takes to exercise? What happens? You get big. You're just taking protein. You gain a ton of weight without active, activating this exercise. This is how people get spiritually obese these days. People are just want to be fed, just feed me, feed me, without activating their faith. Exercising faith is how we develop our spiritual muscles. Got it? And then we get to verse 31. And he says this, Do you, do you now believe There's some commentators that say that that was more sarcasm um, in his question. Do you now believe? Maybe sometimes one commentator said, hey, this is more sympathetic. You now believe? But this is what he says. He now believed. Just now the clear clear thing is that Jesus, he's long-suffering with his disciples. His thick-headed disciples were in the 11th hour. We're minutes away from his arrest, and they are just now understanding this. They watch a dead person come to life. Jesus calls out Lazarus, and and dead person, they watched it with her. They watched him perform miracles. They watched him walk on all these things, and they're just now understanding it. And before I catch myself getting all perched up and saying, well, how can they? How could they do that? I have to really look in the mirror myself. Because there are moments when, when God is telling me about his promises and I'm slow to believe. When he says, I'm with you, don't worry, don't be distraught. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't know how things are right now. You don't know the things that are going on in my life. They're really hard. You don't know the confusions and the questions that I have. And, and he's there to say, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to be your help. I'm going to carry you through the end. I'm faithful to my word. And I'm faithful to my character. As much as I want to shake my head to the disciples, I've got to shake my head to myself. And I've got to look in the mirror and say, God, how many times have I done that about your promises, about your character, and about your word where I don't believe it? What would it take for me to believe in the promises of God, no matter what's going on in this life? What I love about Jesus, he doesn't walk away from them. He's so patient with them. He's so kind with them, just as he's patient and kind with us. Then he says this in verse 32. 
A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me alone. Yes, I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. He's saying, look, I'm going to go to the cross, and all of you guys are going to be scattered to your own homes. You're not going to be with me. And you may think that I'm going to be alone, but you're, that's, that's wrong. That's not true. I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. The reality will be this strength. It will be, it'll be that that sustains him in his, dark, his darkest hour, whenever he was mocked, whenever he was persecuted, whenever he was flogged. There will be no allies in the room, yet he would not be alone. And what I love about what he's doing for us and the promise of the Holy Spirit is it is for, for our good that Christ goes away because those who are in Christ will never, ever be alone because of the finished work of Christ. Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we will never, ever be alone. You may feel like the world is against you. You may feel like you're being attacked. You may feel like there's an injustice in this world. Despite all those things, you are not alone. That's the storyline of the Bible, that God is near, that God is present, that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, you'll have difficulty. Yes, you'll go through pain, but you are not alone. The God of this universe will sustain you. He'll be present, and he will strengthen you. And then he gets to verse 33. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's rest in that for a second. Because he's saying the reason why I'm laying out these teachings to you is so that in me you would have peace. Get this. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's not. So you, you can't get rid of conflict, confusion, or simply, by simply changing your situation. It just won't happen. As hard as we try to eliminate conflict, there's always something that disrupts that. That thing. Like for me, the example of going on a trip. We left early at 11.35. We had a 5 o'clock p.m. flight. We're like, we're going to get home early and leave at 11.35 so we can land a little bit earlier and get home. All those plans got changed, got wrecked. As hard as we try, there's always something, there's always someone that will disrupt our day, disrupt our plans, and disrupt our, uh, uh, our ideas of what this life should be. There's always something, a canceled flight, or you sit in traffic for hours, and that frustrates you because you were on time, but now you're not. Get this, that verse, it says, you will have trouble. That's going to happen. The second thing it says, you may have peace. It's not a guarantee. You may have peace. It's available to you. It's yours if you want it. If you pursue it, you have to fight for peace. You have to battle for peace. This peace will not come naturally. What comes naturally is what? What comes naturally is anxiety. What comes naturally to us is pressure and fear. That, those things come naturally to us, and that's why Jesus says, Come to me who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, Put your trust in me. Put your faith in me. Rely on the presence of the Holy Spirit to fill you. Because why? Because I have overcome the world. I think Jesus is constantly reminding his disciples of this. 
because he's preparing them for a time he's not going to be physically present. See, God's presence gives us peace because he has overcome the world. The Lord desires for you to have peace. You know what he doesn't delight in? Our anxiousness. He doesn't delight in our fears. He doesn't delight in our denial of reality. What he delights in is when we seek and find rest in him. And that's what he's telling his disciples. Seek and find rest. All the promises he's given in the midst of them leaving are aimed at their peace. He wants them to have inward peace. And Jesus is saying, seek me, run to me, abide in me, and I will give you rest because I have overcome the world. Guess what? He's already won. He's already won. And as we look in, as I was thinking about this idea of overcoming the world and having peace, there's a story that came to mind, and his name is um, Horatio Spafford. Let me show you a picture of Horatio Spafford. Some of you may know who he is, but I thought it was worth telling his story today. Horatio Spafford was a businessman, and he owned uh, some property in Chicago, and he had a lot, a lot of property in Chicago. I don't know if you knew about the, the early, um, I believe it was 20s, or 18, 1871, that's right as he had a lot of fortune. And then there was a great fire that happened in Chicago. He lost all of his property, everything. Shortly after that, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. Okay, in, in the wreckage, in the devastation of the, that news, in the devastation of his, his property going away, he's like, well, my family really needs a vacation. And so... He puts his family on a, on a, a ship to sh- sail to England. He was like, I'm, I'm going to send them on a trip, and I'll meet you later. So he told his wife, I'll meet you later, and y'all just go ahead and go, go ahead of me, and, and, and I'll catch up. So he was thinking a vacation would have been really good. So they were crossing the Atlantic, and the, the ship got in this terrible collision. I don't know if you, really, you remember the story. The ship got in a terrible collision. 200 people died on that ship. And all, uh, and four, uh, his rest of his children died, four daughters, in that crash. The only person that survived in his family was his wife. And she got to England, and they got to England, and she wrote back to Horatio and says, Saved alone, what shall I do? Devastation. Uncertainty. What shall I do? Horatio immediately set sail for England. At one moment during the voyage, they came to the spot where the wreckage was, and the captain called down to Horatio, and he said, this is the spot where your family passed away. And in that moment, as Horatio was, was thinking about it and praying about it, and he was over the shipwreck, he was thinking about his daughters, he was thinking about the devastation and words of comfort. And hope came to him. And he wrote them down and has since become a well-beloved hymn. And this is what it says. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know it is well. It is well with my soul. Perhaps we cannot always say that every aspect, everything is well, 
in different aspects of our lives. There will be always be storms to faith. There will be, there will, sometimes there will be tragedies, but, the, but with faith in a loving God, with trust in his divine help through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can confidently say, it is well. It is well with my soul. The world cannot win. God's kingdom has overcome the world, and he wants us to live in that truth. Let's pray. Father, it is well, it is well with our soul when we live in your peace, when we live in your presence, when we realize that we have your power within us. The power of the Holy Spirit that lives in all who believe in your son Jesus and the sacrifice that you made on the cross lives within each of us and we can tap into that power today. God, may we live in your presence. Fill us with your presence. May it fall fresh on us today as we live out the life you called us to live. God, you placed us on this world for a reason. God, help us to make you known on this world. Help us to live in the peace so that the world around us will see that there's hope. There's hope in Jesus. There is eternity. There is salvation. And God, we pray for those who are lost. They've lost their way. We pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them, convince them, expose those things that would make them fall in love with you, Jesus. Thank you for the power of your presence. Thank you for this time that we, we have to worship together corporately as a church family. God, we want to be a, a church that worships you and praises you and, and prays all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with someone in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.